0: And together, we're beginning a brand new series today. We're calling it, As For Me and My House. Now, you may have heard that statement. You may have read that statement. You may have seen it on someone's house on a plaque or or in some home decor or in in a store inside the mall. You may have even seen it on someone's shirt or a bumper sticker on their car. As for me and my house, we will serve The Lord that comes from Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 And for the next few weeks, we're going to dive into that statement But really we're going to look at the whole sermon surrounding that statement As you go to Joshua chapter 24 When you go to Joshua 24, it is the last sermon that Joshua will preach to the Jewish people for the uh, past 40 years, the Jewish people have been led by a guy named Moses. They came out of being uh, in slavery to the Egyptians for 400 years. And so now, for the past 40, as they come out of Egypt, Moses has led them through 40 years of wandering in the desert. Moses has now died. Moses is, or Joshua now is the leader. And they're right on the brink of entering into the land that God promised 40 years earlier when he, said, when he told them in Egypt, I'm taking you out and I'm taking you to a land of promise. And so now they're right on the brink. And when you come to Joshua 24, here's what's going on. Joshua is looking out. There's probably around a million and a half to two million Jews at this point. They're standing out there in front of Joshua Joshua is preaching his last sermon. They're about to go into this land and he's calling them to a point of decision and The reason he's calling them to a point of decision is is they're about to go into the land God promised But how many of you've lived long enough now to know that just because you're in a position that God wants it doesn't mean life's gonna be easy Doesn't mean there's not gonna be trouble or trials or opposition and even though they're about to enter into the land God promised them, we're not in heaven yet, there's gonna be struggles. They're gonna to have to take the land and it's gonna come with some battles. In fact, one of the greatest battles that Joshua knows they're gonna face is an inward spiritual battle for themselves. You see, they're going to a land that in this land there are many gods that are worshiped, not necessarily the God of the Israels, not Jehovah. This land God has promised them is a land that has many other gods that are worshipping another piece that Joshua knows is that the land they're going into is also a land with traditions and values that are going to be in conflict with the traditions and the values of those who want to serve and follow God and so Joshua brings the people to this point point of decision because here's what you and I have to understand. Not everyone's gonna follow God. Not everyone believes the same belief system you believe. Not everyone's gonna hold the same values and traditions. And you, and only you can make this decision. No one can make this for you. Only you can decide what you and your family will believe and who you and your family will follow. And you need to make your decision before you go into the world and then get persuaded or influenced by all the other belief systems in the world. And so this is what's going on. They're right on the brink. They're about to go into this land. There's false gods and other traditions and values there than what they believe, and Joshua stands, and I want you to read the totality of chapter 15, not just that one little line that you read on a plaque in someone's house. Let's read Joshua 24, verse 15 together. Here's what the verse says. But, Joshua speaking, but if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, Choose for yourselves today. Everybody shout today. Online campus, shout today. Choose for yourself today which you will worship. The gods your ancestors worshiped over there beyond the Euphrates River. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. And then here's his personal declaration point, you ready? Joshua says, but as for me and my family, I can't speak for you, I don't know what choice you're gonna make, but as for me and my family, we're gonna serve the Lord. And there's this decision point, and he's saying to everyone there, I can't make this decision for you, no one else can make this decision for you, it's not gonna be rosy, it's not gonna be always easy, but a decision has to be made, and you do have to make a decision. And Joshua says, I just want you to know, as for me and my house, though, we're gonna serve the Lord. you may say, Pastor, why is this so important? And Why are we taking these next three or four weeks to look into this? Because I wanna remind you that the first organization that God ever created and declared to be holy was not the church. The first organization that God created and declared to be holy was the home. The home is the first institution. And family, listen to me, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, you are the first pastors and preachers to your children about the goodness of God. And so here's what Joshua is doing, he's saying to the families, and not saying to a group, he's saying to individual homes. This is a decision you've gotta make as you go into a land that isn't always gonna be friendly to God. Not not always gonna hold the same values and traditions that you believe in. And listen, listen, listen. When you jump into the New Testament in like manner, there's not a one of us here in America or the 21, 22 countries a week that watch us online In fact, I can say this honestly, there's not one human being on this planet living in any nation that is is living in a Christian nation. And I know that's gonna offend some of you, but you have gotta get this false theology out of your mind. There's never been a Christian nation on this planet. There's only Christians living inside a nation, and hopefully we can influence it for the glory of God, but there is no nation that has ever been declared Christian. Even Israel did not accept fully the gospel of Christ and won't until Jesus comes back. You and I have got to understand there's always gonna be opposition. And so in like manner, you and I stand on the brink of living in our communities in our subdivisions and in our country and wherever you're watching out online. And here's what you and I need to understand. We have to make a choice of who you and I and our families are gonna worship. Because not everyone's gonna agree with you, and not everyone's gonna believe what you believe, and there's gonna be folks with opposing ideas and philosophies, and that's just the world we live in today. But in fact, it's been the world ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden. So this is really nothing new. Are y'all with me? If you're with me, shout, I'm listening. Here's what I wanna remind you, here's what I wanna remind you, and why this series is so important, is because for us who wanna honor God, for us who want God to be the head of our house, God said this, Jesus said these words, you are to be light in the darkness. And he gave a metaphor, we are to be like a city set up on top of a hill, letting our light shine so that the people living in darkness look up on the hill, see the house with the lights on, and you and I become a place where people wanna run to and find shelter. This is why this is so important because the decisions you and I make with our homes It absolutely not only influences our children, our grandchildren, and successive generations, it influences the culture of the community around us, and we should live our lives in such a way that people run to us and say, what is different about your house? What is different about your marriage? What is different about your children? And we can say, if we are in faith, it's the Lord. And this is what Joshua is gonna do. This is the, the first step in being a house that honors god that joshua is going to establish and we're going to look at the whole sermon over the next three weeks and today we're going to take the first 13 verses and in the first 13 verses joshua is telling the people of god to become a house of grace look with me on the screen and let's read these verses together it was too many for your outline so we're going to do it together ready joshua assembled all the tribes of israel at shechem everybody shout shechem Great study for you to do on your own sometime. This was a a special place where God had moved mightily in the life of Abraham and Jacob, and an altar was built there. Now it's a special place for Joshua, and he's there with the people of God, and he summoned Israel's elders, leaders, and judges, and officers, and they presented themselves before God. Now notice this, Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord says. Joshua does not say, hey, here's my idea, guys, or here's my philosophy. He says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel is saying. Now let's see what God said. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshiped other gods. Stop there for a moment. Here's what's powerful here. God, God has taken the Hebrew people all the way back to the ancestor that they take their lineage back to. The Jewish people come from the lineage of Abraham. He takes them all the way back to Abraham. And you remember a moment ago when we all read verse 15 together, how it started? Choose you this day whom you will serve if it's the God your ancestors worshiped back beyond the Euphrates River. He was talking about here all the way back. If you wanna go back and worship the false gods that Abraham worshiped, and his family worship because they were all pagans? You can do that, you can choose to do that, but here's what you need to see, look at the next verse. God says, but I took your father Abraham, From the region beyond the Euphrates River, and I led him through the land of Canaan, and I multiplied his descendants. Stop there for a moment. Here is the story of the gospel. Here's a picture of grace. And God said, even in Abraham's life, he was worshiping false gods, but I'm the one who called him out of paganism. I'm the one who called him to come follow after me. How many of you know you don't come to God by your own merit or your own goodness or your own power? You do so by the knocking of the Holy Spirit of God who draws you by his presence and and God draws us unto salvation. How many thank God that he called you? Amen? And, And that's what we're learning here. So watch this. He says, here's what I did. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob, who would later become known as Israel, And I gave Esau, and I gave the hill country of Sire to Esau as a possession to Jacob and his sons, however. Look at this. This this started out okay, but didn't end all right there for a while, right? They went down where? To Egypt. And what would happen in Egypt for 400 years? They would be slaves. All right? Look at verse 5. What did God do? God said, I sent Moses and Aaron and I defeated Egypt by what I did within it. And afterward, I brought you out. When I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and you reached the Red Sea, the Egyptians pursued your ancestors with chariots, horsemen as far as the sea. Notice he's talking to the crowd and he keeps referring to the ancestors. Now look at verse seven, your ancestors cried out to the Lord. I'll explain that in a moment. So he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and he brought the sea over them, engulfing them. Your own eyes saw what I did to Egypt. After that, you lived in the wilderness a long time. Somebody shout, 40 years. Later, I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan. They fought against you. Shout, it's getting tough now. They fought against you, but look at what God did. I handed them over to you. You possessed their lands, and I annihilated them before you. Look at the next passage. Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, set out to fight against Israel. He sent for Balaam, a prophet, son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. How many know the story of Balaam and the donkey? How many know donkeys are smarter than we are sometimes? And he said, but I wouldn't listen to Balaam. Instead, he repeatedly blessed you and I rescued you from him. You then crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. Everybody know the story of Jericho? Walked around the walls seven times, The walls fall down, God's glorified. And Jericho's citizens, watch this, I love this piece. As well as the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hethites, Gregsites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and every other site you can find, right? fought against you, but I handed them over to you. I sent hornets ahead of you, and they drove out the two Amorite kings from before you. It was not by your sword, it was not by your bow. And everyone with me out loud, online campus, you do it as well. Let's read verse 13 together, ready to go. I gave you a land you did not, come on, Labor for cities you did not build, though you live in them. You are eating from vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. What is the Lord doing here to the people of God right before they enter into the promised land? God takes them all the way back to Father Abraham. He takes them all the way back throughout their Jewish heritage, all the way back to modern time. And did you notice that he is letting them see moments where they were successful? And other moments when they were being attacked? And fighting battles, and imprisoned, and going against the wall, literally with a, a sea on one side and an army on the other. Do you see how he's talking about them God being guided and protected, and yet at the same time the Amorites are attacking and the Isites are attacking, and, and they're everywhere they go there's an obstacle. But then at the very end, here they are standing on the brink of the of the promised land. What is God doing here? He's letting the people know that life isn't easy. There are mountain peaks and there are valleys. And following after God doesn't mean everything's going to always work out the way you want it to. There's going to be struggles and troubles and trials and battles you're going to face. But one thing you can do, if you learn the the the, the principle of stopping and looking in the rearview mirror every once in a while, here's what you see when you look behind you. I wouldn't have got where I am today had God not been with me from the very beginning amen Amen? how many know that the rearview mirror is sometimes the most blessed mirror in your life sometimes you and i have to stop and look behind us and realize it's not been an easy road Lots of ups and downs, cr- curves and mountains and valleys. But you know what? I can say this. I wouldn't have got this far had God left me back there. He was there. Do you notice how many times he said, I fought for you? I sent hornets out for you. How many believe when the hornets came, somebody said, why all these bees around here? And we don't know if it was real hornets or what it was. But you just think about it. They realized they couldn't have gotten where they are had God not shown up. What are we learning here? What is he teaching? What is, why would God start out the sermon this way? Number one, write this down. Because if you and I are gonna be a house of grace, we have to acknowledge the presence of God. We have to acknowledge the presence of God in our homes. In fact, you know, back a few months ago on, uh, I think it was Father's Day, I preached the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter six verses one through four, and, or th- one through six, and, and we, reached, we read about where God says through Moses, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, talking to families, And then you are to talk about the Lord when you rise up in the morning, when you eat your meals in the day, when you sit at the dinner table, when you walk down the road, and when you lie down at night, Uh, you're to talk about the Lord. Now, now why would God say that? Why would God say, hey families, I want you to love God and I want you to talk about God every day just in different moments of your life. It's because what God is teaching us is, is that in our homes, talking about God should be normal. It should be normal for us to talk about the Lord. In fact, when we're talking about the Lord, what should we be talking about? Well, you take the first half of this sermon and what we should, it teaches is we should be talking to our children, our spouses or our parents. Because listen, some of you, some of you kids are the spiritual leaders of your house, influencing your parents and grandparents. Let's just be honest. And some of you need to be influencing your spouse, and, and others of you are parents who are influencing your children, or an aunt, or an uncle, or a, a foster parent, or a grandparent, you need to be, or a single parent, you need to be influencing down. Let's just be real. That's, this is all our homes, right? This is where we're at. And here's the principle. Here's what we should be doing. We should be telling them we would not be where we are today had God not been with us. We should be looking behind us and seeing all those moments that God has shown up and helped guide us and lead us and protect us. And we need to make that common language in our houses. A house of grace is a house that acknowledges the presence of God. The reason I'm calling this sermon a house of grace is because we all do understand what grace means, right? Grace means God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. My uncle used to say this, I wouldn't want to live one second on this planet if God withdrew his presence. The only thing withholding evil today is the hand of God. And the world's bad enough on its own. Come on, somebody. But you think Satan is being good to you today? No, he's not being good to you. You're being protected by the hand of God. Even through the struggles you've been through, you've gotten where you are today, not because the devil took it easy on you, but because a good God was watching over you and he put guards up and he's been protecting you and he's been putting people in your life and you need to stop every once in a while and look around. If the Lord hadn't been for us, we wouldn't have made it. Greater is he that is in us and he that's in this world. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, and we need to stop sometimes, look in the rear mirror and tell our children and our spouses and our parents, look at what God has done, unashamedly. When I was growing up in rural Kentucky, I grew up in a little non-denominational full gospel church. And our church, it was really small, one room building, no bathrooms, no running water, I mean, come on y'all. it was. Man, we were out there, dude. And and, uh, uh, we used to sing the song when I was a kid growing up, look what the Lord has done. And I loved it when we sung that song. I actually played the bass uh, back in the day. And, I, man, you could play some riffs when you got into that song because it was just one of them Pentecostal songs, man, that you got going. And about halfway through the song, everybody's singing and everybody's loud. The walls are vibrating with the, with the people singing out and everybody's cranking up the music. And, and, and before long, somebody started shouting that happened in here, some of y'all just, you'd pass out and it wouldn't be from the spirit, right? be like, whoa, what's going on around here? And, and, and before long, somebody would come out, and listen, this literally happened a few times. Somebody start running around the building or dancing up and down the aisles. I know some of y'all ain't never seen nothing like that. And you may say, that's silly, that's crazy. Nobody should do something like that. Let me tell you about that group of people. Most of everyone in that church was extremely poor. They didn't have any of the world's goods most of them were very lowly educated they didn't have a lot of opportunities in this world most of them had a world of trauma they lived in constant pain and suffering and struggles but when they got to come to church and we started singing look what the lord has done somebody in the back row go, mm-hmm. Yeah, it gets good right there. Now I'm telling you, look what the Lord has done. Mm-hmm. He healed my body. He saved my soul. I ain't gonna sing the rest of it. Y'all leave. But anyway, <laughs> those people would start to get emotional and worshiping. You know why? It's because some of the sometimes the people who have the most struggles in life. Are the quickest to recognize God got them through their struggles every time and they're unashamed to get up and let people know I Didn't get here by myself God got me here That's why I love those memories You know what happens when we in our homes make it regular to talk about God got us through there was a time when we couldn't pay our bills, God made a way. There was a time when struggle, we, we were battling things in our home, God made a way. There were times we made some mistakes as a family, God got us through it. There, there's thing, when we share what God has done in our lives with the next generation or with our families, you know what happens? Number two, write this down. It begins to build a foundation for faith in God. It begins to build a foundation for faith in God in the hearts of those who are listening. I mean, just think about this today. You and I have a copy of the Word of God. Where did this come from? It did not just appear out of heaven. God did not let a book just float down to the earth and somebody say, look what I found. God sent us a book. (laughs) Didn't happen that way. Here's how it happened. oral teaching from one generation to the other about God. People who knew God and walked with God began to orally pass it on and they taught the next generation and they taught one another the word of the Lord. Eventually, it started being written down and then when they started writing it down, at one point in our history, they collected the writings about God, collected it and put it in one canon called the Bible and this is how you and I got our Bible. God began through the oral teaching and then it was written down and passed on. Think about Jesus, when he called his disciples, he would sit them down around him in a circle, and a rabbi would sit and teach his disciples, just like we do in a small group. Why do we have preachers in our churches today where we come and gather and listen to one man talk for 30 minutes about the Lord? Because there's something that happens in the hearts of those listening when they hear about Jesus, when they hear the ways of God, when they hear the work of the Holy Spirit, something comes alive inside of us and it starts building a foundation for faith. Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And parents, can I share this? Grandparents, will you listen to me? According to scripture, you are the first preachers of God's word to your children. And you're the primary preacher. This is one of the reasons why here in our church, uh, our kids' department now writes a devotion and, and a small group study for you to do with your children every week because you are instrumental. And when our houses are houses of grace, we acknowledge the presence of God and we build the faith of God in one another. In fact, I read uh, this week of four preachers who were arguing about what the best translation of the Bible was. One of those preachers said, it's gotta be King James, King James Bible only. Some of you may come from that tradition, you may still hold to that tradition. Uh, I love the King James, it's a beautiful verse. It sounds holy, but it's not holier than other translations. Some people say, oh, Paul preached in these and thou's. And if it was good enough for Paul, I've heard pre- preachers say this, if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. <laughs> Correction, Paul never said a thee or thou in his life. Most likely, he didn't preach Old English, he didn't know Old English, that's not the language he grew up under. Listen, all I'm telling you is a beautiful translation, but it's not the most holy translation. Another preacher said, no, it's gotta be the NASB, New American Standard, because if you go to seminary, that is a translation most of them will have you to read because it's very accurate to the original languages. It's not easy to read, but it's very accurate. The other guy said, no, I like the New Living Translation. I use the New Living Translation because it's easy to read. It's readability, it helps me understand the word. And that's a great translation too. The fourth preacher said, no, that's not my favorite translation. My favorite translation was my mother's translation. And all the preacher stopped for a moment and said, I didn't know your mama translated the Bible. He said, absolutely. My mama translated the Bible in front of me every day of her life, and it was the most impacting translation I ever saw of the Word of God. She lived it. Amen? A house of grace acknowledges that God's presence is with us and is unashamed to say, look what the Lord has done, and it builds the faith of others in God in the home and when that happens, watch this, watch this. Here's what happens when you share about God and you talk about the Lord. Number three, it confirms the personal nature of God in your family. It confirms the personal nature of God. What is the, what is the difference between dead, dry religion and a vibrant living faith? Both have the knowledge of God. What's the difference? Is a vibrant living faith comes out of a personal relationship with God. It's one thing to know God, know about God rather, it's something totally different to know God personally. My goal for every family in this church is that you want to be a house of grace, a house that talks about God openly, frequently, and freely, that builds the faith of one another, and that you know God personally, and you help those around you in your homes to experience God personally, because God is a personal God. In fact, here's a little uh, exercise for you to do this week. Go back through the 13 verses that we just read together as a congregation and circle every time God uses the word I. Do that this week. Notice how many times in recounting their history, God said, I led you. I fought for you. I sent the hornets for you. I drove out the Amorites for you. I set you free out of Egypt. I got rid of the Egyptians. I led you. Look at how many times, because what is God saying? God is saying, I'm not some distant deity that you can't know. I want to be a personal God to you, and you can know him personally. Everybody's had trauma. Everybody's life has a hard time. And you have to decide for yourself whom you will serve. I had trauma growing up just like you did. Nobody's life is perfect in this room. If you think anybody's life's perfect, listen, listen. Get, go take them for coffee and let them tell you the real story. Everybody had trauma. I had, everybody had trauma. Some of the little trauma stuff that I went through as a kid caused me to spend a whole lot of my childhood around my grandparents. And I was blessed that I had grandparents on both sides, my mother and my father's side, who loved the Lord. And it was, it was known that they loved the Lord. Now, I'm gonna talk a little bit about my grandmother Ruby because I spent most of my time with her. And my grandmother Ruby was the woman who loved Jesus more than any human being I've ever met in, in my life. My grandmother Ruby raised 10 kids on one salary. She was poor, uneducated, and loved Jesus more than any person I've ever met. And my grandmother was so instrumental in my life, all of my grandparents were, but here's what I want to tell you about Melmore Ruby. She created such an atmosphere in her house that when you sat down at the dinner table, and she wrote 10 kids, I mean, there's people there at her house all the time, right? I mean, everybody's at her house every day. And she loved to cook. You didn't come to her house and and didn't, didn't eat. You had to eat something. Even if you just left a buffet, you had to eat something or she was offended, right? So you ate something. You never sat at my grandmother's table and didn't feel like Jesus was sitting at the table with you. It was amazing. I mean, it was just natural. Jesus is here. I mean, it's almost like you felt it so palpable, you could almost like set a chair out and say, here's where he sits. It just felt like he's there. When you went into the living room and watched TV, you paid attention to what you were watching because you felt like Jesus was on the couch beside you. And he wasn't there to judge what you're watching. He was just there hanging out with you. How many know if you thought Jesus was hanging out with you? It'd probably change some of your TV choices. Come on, just, that's all I'm going to say about that. Anyway, he was like, it's like it felt like he was there. It was the most comfortable place to sleep. Because when you went to bed at night, Memo created an atmosphere where you felt like Jesus was the only one who was staying awake and he was take, watching guard over the house while you slept. That's how it felt. There was just something about the atmosphere that she could make Jesus feel personal. And I've shared this over and over again over the years. I've told people this. I learned how as a child to have a personal relationship with Jesus long before I learned proper theology. And I'm thankful that it happened that way. Because I want to share with you the big takeaway. Because if you miss the big takeaway, this whole sermon falls apart. I promise you. This is the most important piece of the whole message. Joshua is standing there before the people of Israel and as they are as they are about to enter this land he knows there're going to be struggles he knows there's going to be false belief systems and he's saying you've got to choose for yourself but here's what I'm hoping you'll do if you choose to be a house of grace you will talk about the grace of God how he has been at work in your life and you're going to make uh, you're going to build a foundation for them to believe in God and you're going to make God so personable that they won't talk about God in the third person they'll talk about him like he's next door like he's sitting right beside them Personally and intimately. But here's the deal, here's the deal, here's the deal. Here's what you've got to understand. Here's the big takeaway. Houses of grace must display the grace of God to one another in the house. Because if you talk about the Lord and if you make God feel personable and you're meaner than a junkyard dog, if you're rude, and hateful and unforgiving and slanderous and judgmental of everyone else. Look at me, look at me. Those you're influencing about God will take on that your nature must be God's nature since you talk about him all the time. So all of a sudden they'll think God is judgmental and rude and hateful and slanderous and unforgiving. And you and I have an incredible amount of weight on us and our homes. There is a responsibility on us that the way we talk about God and then the way we live out our lives teaches those around us what the nature of God is like. Jesus said these words in John 13. I know this is heavy right now, but I want this to sink in. In John 13, Jesus said these words, I give you a new commandment that you love one another and the whole world will be convinced that you're my disciples if you love one another. And listen, I want you to think about the love of God for a moment, and that's the love we're supposed to radiate to one another in our house and to our, to our loved ones in our home and what should be shining out of our homes, to our subdivisions and our communities. Because listen, listen, listen. God so loved the world, he sent his son. This is grace, this is what he did for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus came born of a virgin to walk up Calvary's hill, to die on a cross, to pay our sin debt. Anybody grateful for that? jesus was buried and on the third day arose again as king of kings and lord of lords and today jesus cries out whosoever will let him call upon the name of the lord and the same shall be saved paul would say it like this we become brand new creations in christ jesus amen that's grace that's what god has done for us we ask for forgiveness we're forgiven he gives us a fresh start he gives us a new chance And listen to me, in our homes, we must show the same nature of God to one another. Because we're influencing those inside our house to judge God by us. And the community judges God by us. And if we can love each other and show the grace of God, do for others what they can't do back for us we can teach them a little bit about the grace of our Lord. And you know what, men? All the men give me a grunt. It starts with us. Ephesians chapter five says these words to us men. You ready? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. We need to ask her the question, am I loving my spouse? Am I loving my wife the way I'm supposed to? Can my children look at me and say, my daddy loves my wife just like Jesus loves me? And women, didn't leave you out. He says, and wives, you're to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. I know we don't like that word submit, but please understand the world has hijacked that word. That's why you don't like it. It doesn't mean under his rule or his dominion, like he's a dictator. God didn't take you from his back that you walk behind him. He didn't put you out, bring you out of his belly where you get to lead him. He brought you out of his side where you walk beside him. And when you walk beside him and he loves you the way he's supposed to, you can respect him the way he needs to be respected as a man. And together there's love, there's respect, there's honor. And it's beautiful when two are working together as one. And then parents, he says this. Parents. Don't anger your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. How many wanna be a house of grace today? I wanna to be a house of grace. A vault house has got a lot of work to do, but we're gonna be houses of grace, amen? How many believe all of us could take a little bit of work from the Lord on this today?